Good morning. I'm Bree Treadwell, and I will be reading Romans 6, 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That way no longer should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you guys have a seat. I like that was sort of a awkward clap because nobody was like, wait, are we doing communion now? Like, what are we doing? We usually do that here. We're going to do communion in a little bit. Uh, don't worry. We will take communion today. Um, but what we look, kind of changing up the order of service today. Um, today is a little bit of a, a different day. We've ended our, our Missions Month messages. I will say this. The buckets are still out there, by the way. If you would love to, to continue giving to missions, you are welcome, welcome, always welcome to do that. The giving tab is online as well. By the way, church, uh, we were shooting for 25000 for the quarter. You guys gave $39,000 to missions, um, which is awesome. Yes, that is awesome. Um, for our, for our first quarter. So, man, we're so excited about that. Um, but so today's sort of a little bit of a standalone message. And here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about baptism. Uh, we have a couple of baptisms set up for second service um, and just thought today would be a great opportunity for us to talk about what baptism is, why we are baptized as Christians, what it means, and, and, and uh, really what the picture of it and the reality of it is spiritually for us when we are baptized as believers into Christ Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. Um, I am going to give an opportunity today. For anybody in this room right now who has never been baptized publicly and willingly um, and put their faith in Jesus, if you would like to do that today, even if you are not signed up, um, you will have an opportunity to do that. So I know some of y'all might be sitting here going, man, that's kind of weird. Um, or maybe that does apply to you and you're thinking, I don't know if I, I want to do that. Hopefully today, um, this will just be a, a great opportunity for you just say yes to Jesus and, um, you know, publicly profess your faith in him. Um, so I want to start here today. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, just turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to jump around in a couple different scriptures today. But Ephesians chapter 2, I want to start here because I want to share the gospel up front and help us to understand what we're putting our faith in, what we believe as Christian people, right? So Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to us, um, to the Ephesians, and, and by extension to us, he starts in verse 4. He says this, But because of his, he's about God, because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if you're a Christian person... 
I want you to think about yourself for just for a second as sort of a tree, okay? And I'm going to use this illustration a couple times today. Um, think of yourself, if you're a Christian, as a tree, okay? Um, and as a tree, you are alive because your roots are in Jesus Christ, okay? So anybody who is a Christian, if you are that tree that I'm talking about this morning, you're alive, why? Why is a tree alive? A tree is alive because its roots are alive. A tree's not alive if it has no roots, right? It might even be standing up. You could probably stick a, you know, a little tree in the ground in some way, but it would eventually fall over. It would eventually die. All the leaves would fall off of it. The branches would fall off of it. If what? If it has no root, right? So as Christian people, what I want us to understand from this passage is what? Our roots are in Jesus Christ. No matter who you are as a Christian, no matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes or five years or a hundred years, your roots are the same. Now, the, the upward uh, reality and the, the, what, what that looks like out in the world and how you live out your Christianity, that changes over time. And you should, there should be a process of growing and learning to become the tree that God has made you to be. And yet your roots always remain exactly the same. Your roots remain in Christ. It is by grace. Everybody say grace. You have been saved through faith. Everybody say faith. Grace through faith. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in Romans. So I just wanted to make that clear up front, that if you are a Christian, what that means mainly is this, that you have a relationship with a real living person named Jesus. Yeah, a real relationship with a real living person named Jesus. And this relationship is defined by our faith in him as Lord and Savior because of the grace that he has given us to send Jesus to die on the cross, to rise again from the dead. And so we put our faith in him, right? That is, that is sort of the, the, the roots, the beginning, the initial um, understanding and belief of every Christian, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, he died, he rose again, and I've put my faith now in him. And in Romans 10, 9, it says that anyone, um, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? That anyone who believes this and confesses Jesus is Lord, that I believe that about Jesus, who he said he is and what he's done, and I put my faith in him and I trust in him. Listen, without faith in Jesus, here's the truth. Without faith in Jesus, you and I are not right with God. You can't be right with God without faith in Jesus Christ, his son. I read you from Hebrews just a minute ago where um, the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand that, man, we cannot be in his presence without Christ because Christ, as the son of God, he bore our sins and died for those sins to allow us by his blood and now through his spirit that lives in us to have free and eternal access to the Father. First John says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Darkness can't be in the presence of God. And so if your life is defined by sin and not by Jesus, then you can't be in God's presence. You can't know him. You can't walk with him. You can't trust or you, you can't have relationship with him until you trust in Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sins, the one who paid the price for that. And so what do we do? And I'm going to read um, Peter's answer to that question in just a second, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we do if you want to become a Christian today. Here's what you do. You repent. Repentance means you turn from sin. You turn away from a life of sinfulness and a life of, well, well, again, Paul says we were dead in transgressions and sins, that we live in our transgressions. We live in our sins, and we choose to turn away from that and put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ right? That's what it means to become a Christian. We repent, turn from sin, and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And we confess 
Like, like Romans 10, 9 says, we confess that he is Lord and Savior. That's what it means to be a Christian, okay, at the very beginning of all things. That's where our roots are in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. And listen, right now, if there's anybody in this room right now who you've never confessed Christ as Lord, as I pray, you can, you can do that right now, that you can repent of sin and turn to Christ in faith. So pray with me. Let's pray. God, thank you that um, this gospel is true. Thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, that he came and lived on this earth 30 plus years, never once sinned, and that at the end of his life, he took our sins upon himself, and he died for those sins to pay the price for them. We deserve death, and yet he took it for us. Thank you that he rose again from the dead. And I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room right now who has never believed that before, that they would believe it now, that Jesus Christ, your son, has paid for their sin to offer forgiveness to them. And there is no other way to be forgiven. There is no other way to be saved except by him and him alone. I pray that maybe somebody right now would put their faith in Christ, turn from sin and trust in Jesus. And so God, now lead us in the rest of this message to see what what it looks like now for us to confess that faith in baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so that's the roots, right, that we put our faith in Jesus. Now, here's the question. What happens? What happens next as, as a new believer in Christ Jesus? Now, most of us in this room, I would assume, have already been baptized into Jesus. So this has happened to you at already at some point uh, in your life. But where do we go from there? If you are a new believer, you put your roots in Christ. What is that kind of first slope? So think about a tree again. If it's planted and the roots begin to grow, the roots grow in the ground before there's any uh, like outward evidence of it, right? The roots are, are there. But eventually we're going to see what? We're going to see this little sprig pop up from the ground, right? We're going to see a little tiny thing like stick up out of the ground and say like, I'm alive, right? And it's going to, it's going to be an obvious, open, evident thing that there's a tree down there, right? Even though we can't see the roots, the roots are there. And now this thing, little thing pops up through the ground. You might even hear garden, raise your hand if you garden, right? It's a beautiful thing, right? When we start to see the fruition of the things that have been planted. And so when our faith is planted in our hearts, when that seed takes root in our hearts of faith, faith in Jesus Christ? What is the first uh, sort of uh, evidence of that reality in our lives? And I, I believe scripturally speaking, the first public evidence of that would be a confession of faith in Jesus in public baptism, in, in baptism into Christ Jesus, a step of faith as the New Testament kind of shows us that is the necessary evidence that there is the roots of faith in our lives, right? Um, so where do I get that from? Let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is where we'll start. And we're going to walk through several, not, we're not going to read them all, but we're going to see several places in the book of Acts where this happens. Now in Acts chapter 2, this is the beginnings of the church, right? The apostle Peter stands up, preaches this long sermon um, in front of basically all of Jerusalem, right? They're hearing all the apostles speak in different languages. This is an amazing scene. The apostle Peter stands up, he preaches the gospel, and a lot of different people, thousands of people hear this message, and they ask Peter this question. We're going to start in Acts 2 verse 30. Uh, 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means what? That means they were convicted of sin, right? They were convicted of their sin. They were, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, so some sort of thing has taken place in their hearts now. There, there's roots there, I would say, that there's faith in what Peter has said. And then they're just asking, what do we do? And here's how Peter replies, repent and be baptized, 
every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Right? And it says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message, there's faith, there's the roots, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So what do we see early on? The very first Christian sermon ever preached. Peter preaches it, and then they ask, what do we do? And he says, man, you put your faith in Jesus, you repent, and you what? You be baptized, right? Repent and be baptized. Now, here's the question. If, if that happened just right there, just in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41, if that was the only place we saw that, would it be something that we need to follow as a New Testament church? I don't know. If it were a standalone place where only that happened that one time, then we could at least ask the question, well, maybe that's just, that was just for that moment, but it's not really normal for Christians to do that. But here's the thing. It's not. That's not the only place we see that. And we're going to walk through several other scriptures. So if we put up that other slide with all these Acts places in the book of Acts. Okay, Acts 8, 12, 8, 13, 8, 37. You guys can take a picture of that, write them down if you want to. Here, here's what they are. In Acts 8, 12, the Samaritans believe, they hear the gospel, they believe, and then guess what happens? They're baptized right after that. Acts 8, 13, Simon the sorcerer believes, it says he believes, and is baptized. Acts 8, 37, an Ethiopian man hears the gospel, he believes it, and then guess what happens? He's baptized right after that. Acts 9, 18, Paul, the apostle, hears the gospel from Jesus himself, right? He's blinded. He gets led into uh, Damascus, and he gets there, and he spends three days. He doesn't eat, doesn't drink anything. Um, and then finally, he regains his vision, and guess what he does? He gets baptized because now he has come to faith in Jesus. Acts 10, 48, the Gentiles are baptized. It says, after hearing the gospel preached by Peter. So they hear the gospel, they believe it, and how do they respond? Repentance and baptism. Um, Acts 16, 14 through 15, a woman named Lydia, it says that God opens her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul preaches to her. She hears the gospel, she receives it, and then she's baptized. Acts 16, 31 through 33, Paul and Silas, they don't escape from prison. They're in prison. The prison door is open. They don't leave. But the jailer who was in there with them, he kind of asks, like, what can he do to be saved? And Paul shares the gospel with him. The jailer is, um, says that he believes the gospel, and then he is immediately, it says, immediately baptized. Acts 18, 8, many Corinthians hear the gospel. They believe, and they are baptized. Acts 19, 5, the Ephesians hear about Jesus. They repent and they are baptized. In every one of these conversion stories, someone, here's what happens. Here's the, here's the method we see in the scriptures. Someone speaks the gospel to them. They hear the gospel, they receive it, and then they repent and are baptized. That is the way we see it happen in the Bible every time that it happens in the book of Acts as the new church begins. And I believe as Luke was writing this through the inspiration of God, he wanted us to understand that this is what it looks like to begin your new life in Jesus, right? That you have to hear the gospel you have to hear it either preached or you read it in the scriptures some way that someone shares the gospel with you or you read it for yourself in the Bible. You hear who Jesus is. You hear what Jesus has done. You respond to that in initial belief in your heart, right? That's that root, right? That's what we're talking about, the root. And then as that sprig comes up out of the ground, that's you going, hey, I believe that. And I want to take my step of obedience to be baptized into Christ Jesus. This is how we see it play out every time it plays out in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Do you think it's important? Here's a question. Do you think it's important then that we believe in Jesus and respond in baptism? What would you say? I think so, right? If every time we see it happen in the book of Acts, that's how it goes down. The same way every time. Gospel, belief, baptism. Gospel, belief, 
baptism. Um, and I bring this up today because I do, I do know that some Christians today um, kind of skip over the baptism part. Um, I think there's a lot of people, and maybe you are one of them, who you, you've heard the gospel, and you believe in Jesus, or you've said that you believed in him for a long time, um, but you kind of just skip over that part of saying yes to him, sort of in that public confession of faith and being baptized. Um, I believe it's very important that we do this. Okay, now let's go to Romans chapter 6. And here's the, here's the meaning of baptism. That's the method. That's sort of like how we see it happen. Here's the meaning of baptism. Acts chapter 6. So in the book of Acts, Paul, and, and uh, Bree, Bree read this for us, and we're going to get here in a couple weeks again um, as we jump back into Romans. But here's what Paul says as sort of the meaning of baptism, what baptism is all about. He says, I'm going to start in verse 3, uh, Romans 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anybody who has died has been freed from sin. That that language is important that he's using, right? Death. He's talking about dying, right? And I want you to picture a person being baptized as he's talking about. When you're baptized into Christ, what are you doing? Like you're laying down. What's the picture here? It's dying. He's saying we're baptized into the death of Christ in order that we may also receive what? The resurrection of Jesus. So he's painting a picture that sort of baptism illustrates for us. He says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, I love this verse, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is the picture of baptism. That is the meaning of baptism. So we saw the method of baptism. I hear the gospel. I receive it. I'm baptized as a confession of my faith. And now Paul has given us the deeper meaning, the spiritual reality underneath. So listen, when we, when we see somebody get baptized, we're, we're, we're seeing a person getting, you know, dunked underwater, immersed in water. That's what we're seeing, sort of this physical expression of the faith that's inside of me. But there is something, I believe, something deep Something spiritual happening in the soul of a person who confesses Christ as Lord and is willing to die to self and, and kind of uh, confess and not only confess, but sort of take part in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Is that not the, the picture that Paul's painting here? That Jesus died and was raised to life. And he's saying when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. That's what he said. Baptized into his death. Jesus is death. When you are baptized, when you go under that water, you are identifying publicly with Jesus. He died for me. And so I'm dying. Jesus died for sin. I'm dying to sin, right? Y'all get that? Jesus died for our sins. I, in my baptism, am dying to my sins and being raised in eternal life, right? So you are publicly identifying with your Lord and Savior, Jesus. You're not just saying in your heart secretly, yes, I believe in that, but now you're saying publicly, yes. Again, the sprig has come out of the ground. You're going, I'm here. I'm alive. I believe in him. I'm dying to my sin, and I'm living for Jesus. That's a picture of repentance, is it not? Dead to sin, alive in Christ. That's the meaning of baptism. 
So that old life, Paul says, is buried with baptism, buried in baptism, and the new life is resurrected in Christ. Um, a note real quick on this. Um, this is why I believe and why we believe at Eastridge um, that immersion underwater is the proper way to be baptized, okay? Um, that's the New Testament picture that we get. Jesus was immersed in water. Um, any, any of the stories that we have in Acts, there seems to be no indication that anybody is sprinkled, that they're only immersed, um, and that's why we practice immersion. And because I believe the symbol really does matter. Again, we're, we're laying down. We're dying in the water, watery grave, so to speak, and we're coming out of that water, Paul says, resurrected to new life. Now, this is not to say, and I don't want you to misunderstand me, um, I'm not going to go so far as to say, because I don't think the New Testament does, that if you were sprinkled, like willingly repented of sin and you were sprinkled, that you're not saved. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that baptism doesn't count. I'm just simply saying what we see in the New Testament is immersion, and that's what we practice here at Eastridge. Um, uh, the, the, what, what certainly does count is repentance and obedience to Jesus and faith in his name on the part of the believer to turn from sin and publicly confess Christ as Lord. Um, I, I would say this. If you were, and this is just maybe for a couple of y'all in here, okay? If you were immersed or sprinkled as an unwilling infant or child, unwilling being the key word there, um, then I would say that that's a conversation I would like to have. Um, and maybe today God's just kind of putting that on your heart, something to think about that maybe you didn't choose to make a, a public confession of faith, as, as we see in the Bible. And baptism is about repentance, right? Um, we have to be able to, to understand sin and be able to repent of sin in order to make that confession. Um, I, I, just, I think it's at least confusing Right to baptize children who can't make that public profession of faith. Um, and so I, I would just put that out there. If there's anybody in here that that's the case for you, maybe as a young child or you don't really remember it or you know you didn't really kind of willingly make that public profession of faith, um, I think it may be beneficial for you to take that step to say, I want to do that public. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't go that far. But I am saying that there may be some and I think Paul hits on this in Romans 6, right? There may be some power over sin that you might be missing in your life. Because he does say that, right? Um, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Like, that's count yourselves. That's a, that's a willing understanding that I have died to sin, and now I'm raised to eternal life. And if you never did that willingly, I think you might at least be missing that part of the meaning of baptism. And that's very important for us. Does that, does that make sense? Um, I, I just think for us as believers, um, this is why baptism is such an important part of our faith. That we can always point to a day when I said, I reckon myself dead. I'm dead in that water. Y'all, I died in a hot tub when I was eight. That's where I died, right? Like when I was eight years old, I said, yeah, and I remember that. And I know that I chose to follow Jesus in my heart and to publicly confess that. And I, listen, I want that for every one of you. I don't want you to have some baptism that you don't remember, and I don't want you to always be walking through your Christianity, not ever like having the confidence that I've publicly said yes to Jesus, that I've sort of just sort of hidden that. I've kind of backed up, and everybody kind of knows I'm a Christian, I think, maybe, but it's more, really more of a private thing between me and him, and I've never actually done that before my church family. Guys, I think there's a confidence and an assurance from us obeying Jesus. And so a few other reasons to be baptized would be that. One, Jesus modeled it. 
He was baptized, um, and, and all the Gospels, we see him immersed in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. He commanded it, Matthew 28. And baptism in, into Christ is the mark of the people of God. Um, Galatians 3.27, it says, clothe yourselves with Christ in baptism. Right? It's actually the mark of the people of God. In the Old Testament, uh, Israel, it was circumcision. In the New Testament, it's baptism that we are baptized into Christ willingly um, through repentance. It's a baptism of repentance into Jesus, and that's the, that's the mark of the Christian people. So quick illustration about that. Um, raise your hand if you've been to a wedding. Okay, cool. Um, if you've ever gone to a wedding, um, the, the pastor does the wedding, right? So when I've married people, you come up, and we're, we're, we're talking before everybody, and they, we have this moment where they, they do their vows, right? So I, I talk to the guy, and I say, you know, do you take so-and-so? Do you, you know, to have and to hold, all that kind of stuff. And I talk to the woman, do you take so-and-so, to have and to hold, all the things, right? They make their vows before everybody. They commit to one another, right? They say, yes, 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 I belong to him. He, she, he, she belongs to me, whatever. Like, we belong to one another. That's sort of the illustration of faith, right? The roots, the roots are there. We have made the, the confession, but yet there's something else that needs to be done, some sort of physical expression of that relationship. And what is it? Right after the vows comes what? The rings. There's an outward expression of the inward reality that has just happened. The inward truth is we love each other and we're committed to each other forever. The inward reality of faith is that I love Jesus and I'm committed to him forever, but then there must be an outward expression of that, right? The outward expression of baptism is like the giving of the rings. Now, wouldn't it be silly if you were at a wedding and we got to that part and uh, we said, okay, you know, yes, yes, I do, I do, and all the things. And then we get to the ring part and I said, okay, um, you know, call this guy, John. John, do you want to put this ring on her finger? You know, as a, as a symbol of my vow. That's kind of the language we use. I, I give you this ring with this ring I be wed as a symbol of my vow. And he goes, you know what? Um, honestly, I, I'd rather, okay, listen, I love her and everything, and that's all good, but can we just kind of keep this between us? Um, I don't want to wear a ring because then people might know that I'm married, and if people know that I'm married, that'd be kind of weird for me. Um, I'd rather just really kind of keep it quiet. I don't want anybody knowing out in the world that I've given my heart to this woman. Would she feel honored? Ladies, would she feel honored? No, right? And that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Like, it'd be silly, and everybody'd be at the wedding and be like, why? Like, what, what are you talking about? You just made this commitment, and you said, like, yes, in my heart, I love you, but and yet I don't want to do the outward physical thing that symbolizes the love that we share now together. Guys, in the same way, that's, I, I think, a, a good illustration to, to think about how it would be if a person said, you know what, I, you know, I believe in Jesus, but again, I just kind of want to keep that between me and Jesus and I don't want to be bad. Like, that seems archaic. That seems dogmatic. That seems weird. Like, why would I? I don't want that kind of ball and chain on me like a ring might be, right? I, I, I want it to be like, yeah, I can kind of have that faith in my own heart, but I don't need to publicly do anything. I think it would, it would be the same thing for us. And so I want to shift a little bit, just as we kind of wrap this up, to talk about communion for just a second. Um, so there are two what we call sacraments. Sacraments would be the two things that we practice as a church. Um, and baptism and communion would be the two sacraments that we practice as a church. Um, most churches still practice those two sacraments uh, to this day, baptism and communion. So I want to read a couple um, passages from 1 Corinthians for us. And I, and I want to make a connection between baptism and communion for us because I do think this is important. 
1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, he's talking about communion, right, taking, taking part in communion, for which we give thanks, a participation in, I think that's an important word, participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, and this is what we read every Sunday before we take communion. He says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Listen, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so communion is a worshipful act of confession and repentance and faith. Listen, for those who have already come to faith and confessed Jesus as Lord, that's what communion is. Um, communion only makes sense in that context. Communion doesn't make sense for any person. And I, and I, and I want to say this with love and compassion for all of us in this room. Communion doesn't make sense for us if we're not baptized. It makes zero sense. For a person who has never said, yes, I believe in Jesus and have repented of my sin and confessed him as Lord, to then kind of secretly in your chair go, yeah, I'm, I'm confessing Christ as Lord through, communion and, uh, through, through taking communion on a Sunday. It's at least confusing. I think it's confusing to those around you. I think it's confusing to you, right? It, it puts the cart before the horse, um, if we could kind of go back to the marriage illustration, and if I could be kind of use some adult language for just a second, this is the, the sacramental and kind of spiritual equivalent of sex before marriage. That's what it is. And God has given us a specific design for that, and I believe he's given us a specific design for how we relate to him and follow him in our walk. That we want the intimate act, communion, before the covenantal commitment of baptism. Does that make sense? And that's backwards. We should be willing to make the covenantal commitment. Yes, I'm alive in Jesus. Yes, I confess faith in him. Church family, I'm one of you. I'm part of the family because I believe in Jesus, what he did for me. And then we, together as the church, because Paul is assuming that all those who are taking communion here have made that confession. And, and I do think that maybe from time to time, there's those of us in this room who, yeah, we, we take part in the intimate act of communion Wow, that was crazy. There we go. <laughs> we good? That we take part in the intimate act of communion without having confessed openly and publicly that Christ is our Lord and Savior. And again, I just say that because, listen, here, here's my heart. Here's my heart. I want all of us in this room to so value what we do in here together as a church in the taking part of Christ's body and blood. That's what Paul says, isn't it? Like we're taking part, we're participating in the body and blood of Jesus. And I want us to so value that and so love Jesus and so love his church and one another that we would want to do things as he gives them to us to be done. And as we see in the Bible, this is how this is done. That if you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you believe it, your very first step of faith and obedience to Jesus is to be baptized in the water. To say, yes, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive in Jesus. 
And yeah, I want that to be something in your soul. Like right now, if you've never been baptized, if you've never made that public confession, I want that to be a check in your heart right now to go, maybe I've put the cart before the horse. Maybe I'm trying to live out a faith that I've never actually confessed before anybody. Maybe I'm trying to do the things, even taking communion, pretending to be part of the church family when I've never actually said, hey, yes, I'm part of the church family publicly in baptism. Because you confess Christ here before all of us. And I want us to do that. I want us to celebrate that together as a family of faith, as a family of believers. So two encouragements today. If you're a believer in Jesus, even if that just happened a little bit ago when I prayed over you guys, or even if it's happening right now, you're like, man, I think I believe that gospel. I, 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 I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's my Lord. And say, I want to turn from sin. Here's your step. Be baptized. That's the first encouragement. Be baptized. You can do that right now today. Right now today. I'm going to step over here by this cross while we sing a couple more songs this morning. And if today, we, listen, we brought extra shorts and shirts and we brought extra towels. We did. If you want to be baptized today, come talk with me. Just, it might be a little awkward. I think that's part of the death to self. You get what I'm saying? Like, we got to be willing to die. we got to be willing to go, you know what? Even if it's awkward, I'm going to stand up. And I promise you this, it won't be awkward when we celebrate with you. Okay? I don't care if you're in the band, by the way. If you want to stop playing because you've never been baptized, and come down here. I don't care if people have thought you're a Christian for 30 years. I don't care if you're doing sound. I don't care if you're on staff. If you need to settle this issue this morning and go, man, I want to I confess. Because here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. That's a beautiful idea. And I want that to be true of every one of you in this room. So I'm going to stand right there. As we sing, you can come talk with me right now, and we can get you ready. Um, second service, we have two baptisms. We don't have any set for this service right now, um, but I'm actually praying, maybe when we're done singing, that if there's anybody in this room who needs to settle that issue, we could do that today. All right? God, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. I pray that you would, if there's anybody in this room who needs to receive the message of the gospel today, that you would put that on their heart to move and to come settle the issue in public confession and baptism. God, I love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.